Good morning. On behalf of the stay-at-homes, it is so good to have the Long Walkers back, to have your company again. I chose this morning's reading because I love the majesty of its language. Thank you for reading it, Sammy. God is talking to Job, his faithful, good, upright servant, who, in spite of doing everything he can to live a pure and morally perfect life, has hit hard times. All his wealth has been stolen or destroyed. His 10 adult children have been killed in a windstorm. And in his poverty and sorrow, he himself has been afflicted with boils, horrible oozing wounds that will not heal. So he sits down in the dust and ashes and scrapes his wounds with a piece of broken pottery and wishes that he had never been born. He says, for the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. After a while, his three friends come to comfort him. They tell him that he must have displeased God because God doesn't send terrible misfortune to good people. And besides, he can't understand the mind of God. After listening to them for a long time, Job replies, I have heard many such things. You are all terrible comforters. <laughs> Finally, God himself answers Job's complaints with this amazing list of the wonders of his creation and the implied question, who can know the mind of God? So the book of Job is an attempt to answer the fundamental question of why disaster strikes good people, why it sometimes strikes me, why must I suffer with this cancer, why did I develop this progressive disease or have this terrible accident, why did my loved one commit suicide, why was she murdered? These are the saddest, hardest questions in life and they have no answer. A few years ago, a new principal gave his first talk to my school community. His topic was the moral imperative to do one's best work. The moral imperative to do one's best work. What do you think he meant by that phrase? What would you say? The attempt to do the best you can do. The attempt to do the best you can do. Exactly. If you're going to do something, you should do it as well as you can. Whatever you do, everything you do, you should do as well as you can. As a way of living every day, this motto is a little terrifying. Do I really have to do everything, even the things I hate doing, as well as I can? Those of you who've taken biology know just how much fun writing lab reports is. Well, what about your poor biology teacher who has to grade all those lab reports? I teach biology. I hate grading lab reports. But I know that I owe each paper my careful attention. Why should my students put real effort into their work if I'm not going to treat their work with the respect that it and they deserve? And if neither one of us takes the assignment seriously, then what meaning, what value can it have for anybody? When you think about your day at camp, 
you can find lots of examples of how the camp community asks you to do your best work. What would some of those examples be? Favorite. Duties. What's that? Duties. Duties? Like what duties? Favorite duty? Or uh, not? Well, um, I guess boats is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well chosen. <laughs> um, anything else? Competitions like a tennis match, like a large horse competition. So if I hate tennis and just stand there while you serve, satisfying? No. No. Anything else? Olivia. Morning inspection. Anything else? I think you can think of some more. What are some more? Jack? Tub. Tub. <laughs> Why, Jack? Well, at least when I was a camper, the water was so cold you'd get a headache. <laughs> <laughs> but the goal is? <laughs> to get clean. Which is a community value, <laughs> yes. Going on hikes. What do you mean going on hikes? Well, uh, I mean the overall goal is to have like a bonding experience. It might be harder for some people than others to really get into that feeling. But I should try my best to hike yeah. and be cheerful rather than being an anchor to be dragged up the hill. Skits and plays, do they matter? Should I try my best there? Mm -hmm. Nature projects? <laughs> yes, nature projects. Shop projects? Doesn't matter, or does it? Present for my mom, shop project. There are announcements, Mem Hall announcements. They all matter. So why does this camp very deliberately, intentionally give you all these chances to do your best work? Because the way you do your work shows us who you are. Day by day, we ask you to do your best work. If you don't, then we remind you, gently I hope, that you need to do a better job of sweeping that dorm or clearing that table or thinking of other people first. The genius of this place is the way that the community constantly asks each of us to do our best work, to give our best effort, and to be our best selves. And what the community asks of you changes as you grow and develop from a first-year camper to a 16-year-old, maybe to a counselor. At every step, the people around us are encouraging us, helping us, hoping for us to become the best people, the happiest people we can be. And each small success builds a pattern for succeeding with the next greater challenge that will inevitably come. We don't need to be perfect. No duty needs to be perfect, no tennis match, not even a crew race. But it does need to be the best that we can make it within reason. I believe that as a community, we do a good job of recognizing sincere effort. And I know that kitchen counselors really appreciate kitchen duties that clean the corners of the kitchen that don't often get cleaned. Kitchen duty is a nice example for this chapel talk because cleaning in the kitchen is often pretty gross, and yet the service done to the entire camp community by keeping it clean is obvious. So let's think about two different kitchens. One that is cleaned by campers and counselors who just want to get out of there as fast as possible, and another one that is cleaned by people who really want to keep that kitchen as clean as they can and who are willing to spend a little extra time and effort to make it shine. Which kitchen do you want to eat from? 
you may say that you don't care, but I promise you that things get gross back there really fast when counselors and campers stop paying attention. And being sloppy with table duties or kitchen duties isn't fair to the dishwasher and the other kitchen staff who deserve our, best, our help and our best effort. Parents and campers sometimes wonder why schools can't work the way that Pasquani does. Some schools try to work this way. But one of this camp's strengths is that much of the time, we're trying to help you get better at skills that you want to improve. You want to improve at tennis or baseball or canoeing or sailing or shop. And counselors and older campers are here to help you improve and to encourage you as you do so. This kind of accomplishment and growth is fun to achieve and even more fun when you put those skills and those new skills into practice. Schools have a hard time persuading you that developing better skills in science, math, and language is as much fun as playing watermelon football on the sandbar, learning how to hit that first tennis serve consistently, or learning how to sail well in all kinds of wind. A lot of camps aim for the development of better skills in sports, but good camps like this one also try to help you be a better person. At every age level, we're asking you to help your dorm community by preparing for inspections, by keeping quiet during rest and after taps, and being kind to your dorm mates. As you get older, we ask more of you, that you develop a seeing eye for what needs doing in the community, from unclogging a toilet to being a friend to an unhappy camper. We ask you to be considerate and, and encouraging of your peers on hikes, to help teach younger campers in duties and activities, and to set an example of kindness and respect that maintains and builds the camp community that the counselors want to build but cannot create without your active help and enthusiastic participation. Just as everyone benefits from a clean kitchen, so everyone feels happier in a camp community where kindness and respect rule. And just as we ask and encourage you to improve your tennis stroke or your rowing form, so we are also asking you and encouraging you to think more about others and to be kind. In a good camp season, this feeling of kindness and respect grows and grows, and there's a sense of shared fun, friendship, and acceptance of other people for who they are that seems magical, but is simply the direct result of many individual choices to be kind. I think that we are in the midst of such a season now. No community and no season is perfect. We all make mistakes, such as the mistakes that were made last Sunday in your camp meeting. But we can apologize for the hurt we cause and stop causing it and be better people. Better yet, when we hear such hurtful comments being made, we can speak out against those harmful jokes and stereotypes. The two mistakes I regret most in my teaching career both involved situations when I saw a colleague bullying people and I did nothing. By doing nothing, I hurt the people being bullied, I hurt the bully, and I hurt myself. I hurt the people being bullied by letting that bullying continue. The bully was someone who had just been promoted to a major administrative position, and I hurt him by not helping him see how counterproductive his, his behavior was. 
and I hurt myself because I regretted then and regret still my failure to act and to do what I knew was right. If we could force you to be good here at camp, there would be no education at all. You always have a choice. You can be trifling at your duties, slow and uncooperative in morning preparations, unwilling to try new activities. You can steal candy or knives, be sneaky, ignore rules about rest, make fun of other people, be mean, and undermine our community in a thousand ways. Or you can just be neutral and not really add anything. The choice is up to you, but beware each choice you make, for good or for bad, shapes your brain, your character, and your future. My school's founding document talks about helping students discover the real end and business of living. Every Sunday, Mr. Vinnie asks us to think about who we want to be. So did Jack in his chapel talks and, and Pierre in his tree talk. Each time we invite you to try something new, to push yourself in an activity, to change your behavior, you should remember that we are trying our very best to help you be the person that you, <coughs> deep down, actually want to be, but may sometimes be afraid of trying to be. Let the fear go. Only by trying new things and doing them as well as you can will you discover how your unique combination of talents and enthusiasm fits the needs of the society around you. As Mr. Benny quoted from Frederick Buechner, how your deep gladness meets the world's deep need. There is a wonderful, happy, fulfilled person waiting out there for you with your name. Take the chance. Become him. You can't see her, but this lady is my hero. She's, uh, she's got big old chunky earrings, fake fingernails, and she likes to wear bright colors. She was Senora Miriam Rodriguez Martinez, and she lived in the Mexican state of Tamaulipas that shares a long border with Texas. Senora Martinez ran a leather goods shop in the little town of San Fernando, and when members of the drug cartels first came to town in their fancy SUVs, nobody paid much attention. But later, the Gulf Cartel and the Zetas went to war with each other over drug-running territory, and people began disappearing. Migrants from Central America on their way to the U.S. by bus were pulled off those buses and shot by the hundreds for no clear reason. Local people disappeared too, and either were found buried in mass graves or were never found again. Between 2006 and 2016, 5,563 people disappeared in Tamaulipas. In 2012, Senora Martinez's 14-year-old daughter was taken and she never came back. In Tamaulipas at that time and now, the police are either intimidated by the drug gangs or bought off by them, and the newspapers have had so many reporters and editors murdered by the cartels that they no longer report on drug cartel violence. So Senora Martinez hired her own investigators and searched herself until she found her daughter's shallow grave and identified her murderers. Her personal efforts led to the charging of 16 narco traffickers 
and the sentencing of 13 of them to jail for the murder of her daughter. According to her obituary in The Economist, quote, day after day, she went to the courts to make sure that they, the murderers, stayed there. She also began to campaign on behalf of all San Fernando's families with relatives who were missing. She set up two organizations for the desaparecidos, the ones who disappeared, arranged mother's marches through town, drew up a list of 800 victims to make a database, and hounded officials at every level of government, including the United Nations. Nothing and no one could shut her up. No se andaba por las ramas, said her friends. She didn't beat around the bush. In a country where violence cowed too many people and journalists were killed for their reporting, she talked and talked, end quote. When her husband was kidnapped from her business, she drove after the kidnappers and called the army on her cell phone and saved him. And in March of this year, when 29 gang members escaped from the main state jail, including two who had been held there for her daughter's murder, she closed her business and asked local and state governments for protection because she was receiving death threats and she knew she was going to be killed. A policeman told her he was on call for her. She called him 30 times at 4 a.m. one morning to check. He never answered. The local police told her that they patrolled past her house three times a day, but she never saw them. So she was not surprised when at 10.30 p.m. on May 10th of this year, Mother's Day in Mexico, a carload of Zetas drove up to her house and called her to the door. She went, they shot her 12 times, and she died on the way to the hospital. Think for a moment about the fear this woman lived with in the weeks between the jailbreak in March and the end in May, the end that she knew was coming. Now tell me, did this woman live by her own moral code? Did she have the courage to do what she thought was right, no matter how hard that choice was? On this lovely hillside, we are practicing for life. We're making decisions that encourage us, give us courage to be able to make other, harder decisions later. We do not know, we cannot know what the circumstances of our lives will be, where we will live or what external forces will act on us. We cannot know what trouble, what form the trouble that comes our way will take. What we can control is how we respond to that trouble and to those circumstances. What kind of life does each of us want to live? As our sermon hymn reminds each of us, I ain't got long to be here. Let's sing hymn 576, please. <laughs> 